Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. Will Watts from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Welcome Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. And we are post-draft gearing up for Saints rookie minicamp. Still lots of happenings going on with this team. Everything from rumors about playing overseas again this season and then want to also break down some of the undrafted rookie free agents before we get into also a live mailbag segment but yeah it was kind of interesting to see this report started coming out I guess this morning and I really still not sure how to take it because a lot of the local media I don't feel like has grabbed onto it yeah, so we're, we're going to get into that. And and as you mentioned, I did a deep dive on the UDFA class, or again, as deep as I'm willing to go into <laughs> it. We are also live on YouTube right now. It's one of our the first live shows we've done in a while. So we're going to do that. But I did want to do a mailbag since we haven't done one since the draft. And I do want to field a lot of questions and comments and whatnot on the draft class and the UDFAs. So that's going to be in the second segment. We're going to get into the UDFAs. The final segment will be the mailbag. But yeah, getting back to it, the Saints and the Patriots are reportedly going to be one of the two games in Frankfurt, Germany in the 2023 season. Now it's still, the the reporting is still a little sketchy. We have not had anything confirmed stateside as to whether this is legit or not, but there is a newspaper in Germany. I think it's called the Bind newspaper. And I had to translate it from German to understand what they were saying. And so, you know, Google Translate is not always always reliable, but they do get the names right. And they're saying the Saints and the Patriots, which we already knew the Patriots were going to be one of the teams. And then the Bears and the Chiefs will be the other game. Now, this will be the second year that the NFL did international games in Germany. And so it feels unusual because you don't usually see teams get back-to-back seasons with international games. But it doesn't surprise me at all that this news is coming out now and that the German side of the equation has it a little earlier than we do. And so I'm, I'm going forward on the assumption that that is correct and the Saints will be in Germany at some point next season. Yeah, like you said, it's a, a little odd to find out, oh, the Saints played in London last season. They're going to be going overseas again 
yeah. this year to Germany. I think the the positive I'll take from it is at least it's not a home game that's being taken away from the Saints this year. Yeah, and and so that's the other thing is the Saints had nine road games. Right. And I think that they they would want to pick a team that had the extra road game to take that German game because that way they don't lose one of their eight home games, which would be unfair. So that's that's something. And I do think it is also a little more complicated because it has to be one of the Patriots opponents, right? Like it's not like they have the entire league to choose from. They have the Patriots opponents to pick from. And so, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. It's also going to be interesting to see when it is, what point of the season, because as you remember last year, you know, the saints could have theoretically taken a buy after the Vikings game in, in London, but they chose not to, and they chose to have a later buy. So they had to kind of navigate that in season, which didn't end up hurting them, really, because they came back and beat the Seahawks. But it still meant that you had a London trip and then 13 weeks of football before you got a week off. And so it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate that this time around. Um, if you go back to last season, it was the Seahawks and the Bucks playing in week 10. They both had a week 11 bye, but you know you won't convince me that it did not affect them over the next several weeks because you look at the Bucs. They won that game. They come back and they lose three of their next four games. They lose to the Browns, the 49ers, and the Bengals. And then the win was against the Saints, a game that they played like crap and should have lost, right? So right. you could argue that they probably should have lost four games in a row after coming back from Germany. The Seahawks, they lose to the Bucs. Then they lose four of their next five games. Their only win was over the Rams. They lost to the Raiders, the Panthers, the 49ers, and the Chiefs. So like those last two are good teams, but those, those first two aren't. So they lost five of six games, if you include that Germany game. So the Seahawks, they were in really good position, and they almost missed the playoffs because of that late-season kind of swoon. The Bucks, same situation. They should have missed the playoffs if the Saints didn't blow that game that they really should not have blown. So, you know, you're going to have to watch. It's something that you have to consider in terms of the travel, in terms of the time difference, how you manage it, especially late in the season when those games feel like they're a lot more important. Um, so that's going to be something to keep in mind when if it's a game you have to play in like November. Something also remember as well, the Saints going to London, they went out the whole week early. After that Carolina Panthers game, they immediately flew out to London, whereas yeah. their opponent, Minnesota, waited till like the day before Oh, what do you know? They showed up and they ended up winning. Yeah, the Saints decided to acclimate to the <laughs> yes. time difference. The Vikings decided not to. And it's an interesting difference of right, strategy, right? The Vikings essentially went there and played what would have been a 9 a.m. local time game. Like they were still right. on that sleep schedule. So it's like they just had a morning game, whereas the Saints played it as if it was an afternoon game. And again, it didn't hurt them because they came back and, and beat the Seahawks the next week. But I, I do think that if you see how the Vikings did and they look good in that game, I, I think some other teams might might adopt that strategy. Whereas like you you might lose one week, but you don't want to lose two weeks because of what you did in the week you lost, right? So that's something. Uh, it's either way, like we'll probably find out here in the next day or so. I, I'd imagine that's usually how the schedule release comes out, maybe Monday in terms of the international schedule. And then the full schedule is supposed to be released on the 11th, which would be a week from today. So we're going to find out one way or another whether this is accurate or not. But uh, it, it's going to be it's going to be not only interesting to see whether it's there. It's going to be interesting to see what week it is, where the bye week is. Um, it definitely makes the schedule release a lot more <laughs> newsworthy than it is already, uh, because that could completely change the second half of their season. Yeah, and for sure, like you're saying, the schedule release uh, is a week away. And last season, at least, we had the international games. We knew who the who was playing and who their opponent was going to be. Um, assuming maybe the league comes out with that information, comes out before the schedule release. Because right oh, now, will. yeah, we just don't know for sure from the NFL. They will, and uh, it, it's just a matter of time. But like that's why you know it would make sense that the German side of this equation gets it first, right? And they're oh, like, right. and I'm sure they're more they're looser with the information. And they'd probably be on this side because they don't care. Why do they care about the NFL? But that game was, if you watch that game, the Seattle-Tampa game, that crowd was hot. That crowd stayed like 45 minutes afterward and was belting out John Denver. 
Nice. You could hear it on the post game. They're like, take me home, the country roads. I was like, why are they singing that in Germany in the first place? But they, you know, it was a great crowd. And so, you know, I understand why the NFL wants to go back, right? Like, like it's, they're making a lot of money and they're expanding their brand. I get it. But it, you have, like when you're the team that's there, like all of a sudden you're on a five out of six game losing streak. You're <laughs> like, man, I didn't really want to go to Germany midseason. Anyway, I think well, that's the, all I have on that. The one thing at the London Stadium last year, the Ted Lasso cast was in the stadium mm, yep. and a big sing-along of Sweet Caroline broke out, which was kind of cool. Yeah, well, they, they treat it like a soccer game, right? Like yeah, it's exactly, that type right. of energy in the crowd. And, you know, you don't, you know, you lose perspective on the difference in types of like how the crowd operates. But like NFL, it's a lot of start, stop. You know when to get excited, when not to. They were just at a 10 the entire time, which is just kind of fun. Um, the, the, the turf also sucked. Everyone was slipping and sliding. Um, so that's another thing, but all right, let's, let's move on to one other thing. The, that we didn't mention the saints are projected to get two fourth round comp picks and a sixth round comp pick next season. And so what a a different time, huh? Yeah. Well, and you see the saints (laughs) kind of sending out (laughs) draft picks this season, you know, they traded a 2024 fourth to move up and get Jay Kaner. And, you know, I think you're looking at that and saying, well, we have one coming in, so we don't mind spending one here. And yeah, so the comp picks, technically, the ones who are, you're coming in, one is for Onyemata, one is for Davenport, and one is for Ellis. That's the later round one. And then Colin Saunders offset Andy Dalton, I believe, and then Nathan Shepard offset another one, which would have been a sixth rounder. So, you know, that's a pretty good haul for, for losing some free agents there. And obviously, these are projected, right? This isn't anything set in stone. Onyemata could have a bust-out, you know, campaign, and the Saints could, you know, could get an elevated pick out of that, not just the fourth. Huh? Or is that is that pretty much set? Uh, I think it's it's not really about performance. It's more okay. about the the amount they signed for. Um, I got you. And like they're they're not set in stone, but the methodology Formula, used right. is pretty standard. Like it's. I would be stunned if these were not accurate, okay. but they will not be announced officially until, you know, a week before the draft. I do need to look up. I'm not sure how you organize them in terms of, okay, who gets the first comp pick versus the last comp pick. I don't know how that order is generated. It might be just draft order, but I'd have to look that up. But either way, Saints went a long time without getting comp picks. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you kind of have to think, I mean, the Falcons are responsible for giving the Saints several draft picks when you think about it. Like, they gave the Saints two third-round picks when they hired Terry Fontenot because that's kind of the deal and in terms of the minority hiring initiatives. Uh, so, like, they really wanted Terry Fontenot, and the Saints, you know, benefited from that. And then this year, they got two more. You mean Terry Fontenot, our secret sleeper spy, sent to Atlanta to destroy them once and for all? To steal all the Saints free agents, yeah, I guess so. But yeah, so that's going to be something to keep in mind for next year. One more thing I want to get to this segment before we move on to the UDFAs. Jersey numbers. We got the jersey numbers for the rookies. We got some jersey number changes. So I'm just going to go through them here in terms of the draft picks. You got Brian Brzee is going to wear number 90. Kendra Miller is going to wear number 25, the Reggie Bush number. Nick Saldaveri is going to wear 64 which is a, just a standard offensive line number. Jake Hayner is going to take over the Andy Dalton 14. A.T. Perry is going to wear 17 as, as Steve goes and tries to rip the Reggie Bush jersey off the wall. I was going to say, I've already got my Kendry Miller jersey in hand. He's going to put tape over it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the interesting one to me, the most interesting rookie number is Isaiah Foskey going to wear 55, Yeah, which is not a typical line or defensive lineman number, more like a linebacker number. Um, but yeah, so that's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, definitely cool to see that number 25, uh, in use again. I'm trying to think the last person that had Daniel Sorensen. Oh, okay. There you go. Boom. But yeah, uh, was, was definitely curious to see, you know, what some of these saints players will be wearing. And yeah, you, did you mention Alante Taylor too, or no? No, I was going to get into that. So there's a couple okay. number changes. Yeah, yeah. Arnold Passigno is going for, he was 94. Or no, he was 90 last year. He's changing to 92, which was Marcus Davenport's number. Okay. And then Alante Taylor is going from 27 to 1, which is Marcus like Callaway's number that he's no longer using because he's in Denver. He wore number 2 at Tennessee. So I'm sure there's some significance to the 1. Then we'll probably learn that from him in camp. But that's a, that's a, that's a significant change. Yeah, to me, the, the number one just goes with that kind of swag he carries yeah. 
and, yeah. and you know rolls with i think it's a perfect number for him i like it it makes sense that he'd never wear number one but yeah. one of the rule changes in the nfl this year is that you can wear number zero for the first time someone can wear zero and ugo amadi is going to be that guy for the saints a cornerback actually the first guy they signed in free agency so if you want to say something about ugo it's that they identified him early and wanted him and signed him um, I think he was a street free agent, kind of like Derek Carr was. So, yeah, he's going to be rocking the zero. Going to have to check out some of his numbers. Has he uh, been a special teams guy in his career? Yeah, from the Seahawks. Okay. That means no, nothing to write home about. Like, that's why it's surprising to me that he that, – that, what it means is no one was climbing over each other to get the number zero, right? Because yeah. I'm pretty sure he would have been low on that totem pole of, of, of requests. Uh, I don't think he was beating anybody out, but yeah. So the other numbers that I'll mention, Colin Saunders is going to wear 99, which is the Shy Tuttle number. Nathan Shepard's going to wear 93, which is the David Onyemata number. Jamal Williams is going to wear 30, which is the same number he wore with the Lions. And Brian Edwards gets the Tommy Lee Lewis uh, number 11. Just don't throw to him in that one corner of the end zone where the refs have agreed to not call any penalties. Yeah, it's like the twilight zone over there. Things things don't happen. It's, it's out of sight, out of mind. I don't know. Yeah, But he's a bigger guy, so maybe he could <laughs> hold on to the ball if he does get blown up. But yeah, so those are all the jersey changes. There's also the UDFAs have numbers, but again, I'm not going to go through them because <laughs> there's too many, and, and they, I, a majority of them won't be wearing them by the time the season starts. So that's that's where I'll cut it off there. Yeah, and uh, I saw the NFL sent out dates about, you know, OTAs, rookie mini camps and all, but... I feel like we had the dates for everything already. I was kind of wondering why they had circled around and put that back out again. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, all I know right now is the rookie mini camp is May 12th through the 14th. And once we're through that, I will start worrying about everything else. <laughs> for now, I am You're coming. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's, that's the only way that I've, that I found I can survive the NFL news cycle is Okay, what's next? Get through that. What's next? Get through that. So right now it's, okay, schedule release. <laughs> Get through that. Mini camp. Get through that. Whatever else. You oh, sound like God. an NFL coach. One, one thing at a time. <laughs> yeah, one foot in front of the other. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. All right. Anything else you want to add before we move on? Uh, no, just excited for the schedule release. I know it doesn't seem like that huge of a deal because we know who the opponents are, but for some reason – it is an exciting event uh, just because you find out, I think, too, how many primetime games are on the slate. Yeah, that is a good question. And you know, there'll be something to watch because last year they, they had, what, two? I think they had two Monday night games. I don't think they played on Sunday night at all. So, like, they were clearly not a media network darling last year because the networks have some say in, in how many primetime games you get, right? Maybe that changes with Derek Carr. Who knows? I hope uh, we're in that 3-4 range at least. But I hate I hate night games. <laughs> I hate them. I love the thought of them, but yeah, staying up and having to work them kind of stinks. Yeah, like I don't want to sit around all day and wait for the game to start, right? I want I want the game to happen, and then I can spend the rest of the day. I don't mind Monday games. Yeah, actually, because it's at least like one day where it's the only thing going on. Exactly. Um, I hate Sunday night games because I still want to watch football all day, and then by the time the game starts, I'm exhausted already. <laughs> No, right. And you know, as you know all too well, we still have pre-game duties and then, you know, in-game duties and post-game duties. So, yeah, there's still no, like, you get to watch any other kind of football, really. Yeah. Luis says, Coach Nowak. Is, no, that's my father, actually. <laughs> all right. Let's wrap up this segment. We're going to come back. We're going to dive in on some of these UDFAs. Keep it locked on Inside Black and Gold. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. 
Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. Thanks, everyone who is watching, hanging out, asking questions, telling me that I am a Jets fan, even though I'm not. I appreciate everyone. That's a pretty big insult to a Giants fan. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The Jets would love to have me. <laughs> you know, the Jets, this is completely off random, uh, but do you think Aaron Rodgers is having a culture shock because like, no one cares about the Jets? Like he came from the Packers where it's like the only thing. Well, what else is there in Green Bay, right? Like Nothing. it's like where I grew up in Connecticut, you can basketball is the only thing in that entire area. So it's like they're celebrities. I mean, he's barely, like, I'm not even sure the Jets are the biggest team in, the, in, in that area. Like they don't even play in the city. And then you have, you know, the Rangers in the playoffs. And I think they lost. And then you have the Knicks in the playoffs and they're definitely bigger. And then Brooke, the, the Nets, obviously are not in the playoffs anymore, but like there's a, a lot of competing interest there. I was just blown away too. Suddenly America remembered again, how gorgeous Jessica Alba was because uh, it, it had seemed like they had forgotten, but she popped up at the Knicks game sitting next to Rogers and sauce Gardner. And all of a sudden she was making her way through social media being talked about as well. And I'm like, Jessica Alba has been hot. So I don't understand. Say I'm I'm on fantastic four Jessica Alba. <laughs> I'm more of a honey Jessica Alba. Okay. All right. Anyway, I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. We're going to go through the UDFAs, and there are 13 of them. So rather than list them all, I'm going to ask Steve. Steve, what UDFA are you the most intrigued to see at rookie mini camp? Can I cheat and give you two? Sure. Number one, obviously, I think is going to be two-lane linebacker Nick Anderson because of the okay. local ties pulling for him. And then the other one, a huge position of need, Central Michigan tight end, Joel Wilson. Our newest member of New Orleans Saint, Nick Anderson. Nick, before we get into football, i got to ask you something. Somebody told me this, so I want to confirm it. Is your grandfather the mayor in Vicksburg, Mississippi? <laughs> yes, sir, he is. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, uh, somebody told me that this morning. That, man, they texted me. Hey, Mike, got to ask Nick because his grandfather is the mayor here in Vicksburg, Mississippi. So I'm glad uh, uh, that was a confirmation on that. That wasn't the clip I thought it was, but that, that was one of my notes on Nick Anderson. His <laughs> grandfather is the mayor of Vicksburg, Mississippi. <laughs> so uh, if you're ever in Vicksburg, make sure to say hi. But no, Nick Anderson's intriguing. And, you know, not only because he went to Tulane, because he's very undersized at the linebacker position. He's only about 5'9". And what you wonder about Nick is if it makes more sense to play like a Landon Collins and uh, maybe lean out a little bit, focus on coverage and be like a big nickel. To me, that that is more his role. And obviously he's had 776 special team snaps in college. So if you're looking for a way for him to make the roster, that's going to be it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that. That's obviously a pathway for a lot of young guys, especially the UDFAs. Um, but it, it helps, obviously, when you have that know-how and experience coming in, and they're just not throwing you to the wolves, even on special teams, just for the first time coming into, like, to Saints camp kind of deal. Well, definitely. The NFL is definitely a passing league, um, and that's something that I feel like I am prepared for and have been, you know, working to fine-tune. Tulane did a great job, you know, being up under Coach Mike Moosey, Coach Chris Hampton. We ran a lot of different schemes, a lot of different coverages from quarters to cover three uh, spot dropping to cover three match. So I have a very, very uh, great intelligence and awareness for different zone concepts and man concepts. You know, a lot of times me and Dorian would have to cover tight ends, um, even cover slots in, in certain defenses and running backs out the backfield. So I definitely have an experience of, of doing that um, and have production uh, of doing that as well with uh, pass deflections. So I have been working on my hands so I can turn those, you know, pass deflections into interceptions. Again, if you're Nick Anderson – you, you're trying to make this team. You do it first on special teams. And then I think you do it second in coverage. You are going to have to be an elite cover linebacker to make an NFL roster at 5'9". Like, you're just not going to be able to be a run support player. It's just not going to happen. Like, you're going to get stuck on blocks. 
Cause I mean, yeah, you gotta be quick. You gotta get around him. You're not going to beat them. Um, and so that's going to be something for him that I think is important. The other guy you mentioned is Joel Wilson. He is intriguing. He is definitely not a blocking tight end. So I think the saints are still going to be in the market for a just solid blocking tight end, right? Like a Josh Hill. You need one of those on the roster, like a Nick Vanette. They don't have one right now. Juwan Johnson, I think, is a good receiving tight end. He's not a great blocking tight end. He's, and you don't want to have to have him spending all of his energy in line blocking. You want someone who's just good at it, right? Like J.P. Holtz is a guy who, who you would look at, maybe Taysom as a blocker. Um, but that's going to be something because that is not the strongest part of his game. He's 6'3", 242, right? Like that's not elite size at the, line, or at the tight end position. He has good balance. He gets into the open field, and you can see it. He's quick, a little stiff. He had 44 catches, 445 yards, six touchdowns last season. Um, he was also productive in 2022, 31 catches, 367 yards, and another six touchdowns. This is a theme that you see a lot with Saints players in general is they all played quarterback in high school. That was true with Joel Wilson as well. He threw for 11 touchdowns as a senior in high school, ran for 450 yards and seven more touchdowns he also played linebacker on the defensive side of the ball so when you look at the Saints UDFAs it's always okay we want elite traits in at least one category and in this case he is a pass catching tight end very athletic able to get downfield kind of looks like Troutman if you're if you want to have a have an example he kind of plays that way um, where the athleticism kind of catches you by surprise I don't know if they'll be able to use it just like they were unable to use Troutman but he's going to be something that's interesting to watch too. Yeah, you mentioning that, you know, this is more of a pass-catching tight end. I'm curious to see, though, still, what are they going to do about that inline guy that, you know, stays in to block? Is it is there somewhere you're going to have to bring in a free agent or do you have to make – do you have to do a trade with someone? What's his name? Uh, Forrestal? Yes. Maybe that's him. Miller. I don't know. Miller Forrestal? Miller Forrestal. I know he's a big dude. I know nothing about him. So maybe he's a good blocker. We'll find out. Right. There are a few other interesting names on this list. The The guy who stands out probably the most on the defensive side is Anthony Orgy, the guy out of Vanderbilt, who that is how you say his name. He's, you know, we talk about plus athletes. You're looking for something that sets you apart. And that's him, right? He ran a 4-5-3-40 for a linebacker that's really good. 38 and a half inch vertical leap, 10 Point two broad jump. He's 6'1", 230, 32-inch arms. Another team captain that you see all the time is team captain, senior bowl players, four-year starter, that sort of thing. He's aggressive. He's always around the ball. He misses a lot of tackles. And, and that's what you're going to look for with him is can he play with that head-on-fire energy and not make mistakes? Because that's where you kind of have to find that balance. You can't be missing tackles because you're trying to be aggressive and get upfield. But it is why... He was very highly productive. He led the SEC last year. He averaged nine tackles per game. He has led Vanderbilt in tackles for the last three seasons. He started 32 consecutive games. So, you know, it's a guy with a lot of experience. He's going to be flying around the field. Another guy who I think you're going to have to make your initial impact on special teams. But, you know, when you can get a linebacker who, you know, he was projected as a sixth round pick by some people. So you're getting a good value here. When you can get a linebacker with the, prototypical size and strength and athleticism you need at that position as a UDFA, I think that's where you fear the Saints, you jump all over it. Yeah, you mentioned the obviously the versatility of having some special teams work. Uh any anything with him playing strong safety at all? No, he's too big. He's six two two thirty, you're a linebacker. That's the difference between six two two thirty and five nine two thirty is you know you can uh, you can project a little differently. He he needs to be a, he's he is a run linebacker, right? Like he is a run support linebacker. And the issue for him is a lot of times getting upfield too quickly and getting out and overrunning a play. And that's that's what you got to fix with him. On the offensive side of the ball, there are a couple really interesting players. We talked about Malik Flowers in the last episode, so we don't need to do that again. But he's obviously the return specialist. It's always fun to watch. Cy Barnett, who we talked about before we came on, wide receiver slash punter slash kicker out of Davenport College in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's another fascinating guy. He's six foot 190, 438, 40, 40 inch vertical leap, 11, 10, 10 feet, 11 inches on the broad jump. He's also, as I mentioned, a kicker and a punter. He once punted an 87 yard punt. That is his long. 
53 catches, 694 yards, four touchdowns. You know, D2, which is Davenport's a D2 school. You don't see a lot of Division II football players, but it is not unheard of, right? I think Danny Woodhead might be the best example of, uh, you know, a, a D2 skill position player latching on. Joe Andrewsy, who's a Southern Connecticut State University alum, that's another D2 school that the one I went to, he, uh, he was a good offensive lineman for a while. So, you know, he's a guy who's going to just try to wow people with athleticism. And uh, it's, it's going to be interesting because he doesn't look like a particularly athletic guy. One of the things he said that I, that I picked up was he shattered his fibula and tore his ankle limit, ligaments in early 2020, which was like right before the pandemic started. And one of the reasons he, he was never able to kind of get above Davenport, like I'm sure he would have liked to transfer to an FCS program or just to kind of, you know, raise that profile. But it took him so long to recover from that, that he was kind of stuck. And it wasn't really until this last season that he was back feeling like himself. So, you know, that's going to be, he's going to be one. I don't, I don't know if they're going to work him as a wide receiver or if they're going to put him in the punter competition. I really don't. But anytime you can say that about a player, it's kind of fascinating. We have a, Big breaking news on the tight end front. They signed somebody? <laughs> uh, not the Saints, but a former Saint is off the market and not going to be returning to New Orleans. Uh, also was with the Jaguars. Dan Arnold uh, oh. reached an agreement with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, not, not that blocking tight end anyway that this team needs right now. He wouldn't have been that. No, no he, definitely he, not. He's not that. All right, going forward. So Roderick Thompson, running back out of Texas Tech, he, he reminds me a little bit of, of, of a Kendry Miller um, in terms of this is another just one cut downhill runner. The problem with Sir Roderick is he doesn't seem to know that about himself. He has a really good skill set. He's just a power runner. He's got speed. When he hits the hole with conviction, he can, he's gone. Like you, you go watch his highlight tape and you'll see run after run after run where he's just, he gets to the hole and then he's just by everybody because he's got the speed. He's got the power. The problem is he's constantly dancing around, you know, so if they can kind of train that out of him, I think you have a chance for a decent running back. The guy I'd comp him to, generally speaking, would be like an Ahmad Bradshaw, get out of Marshall, seventh round pick um, a long time ago, uh, maybe 2008, 2009. He, he has that type of that type of skill set. But again, it's like he just got to learn how to use it. He can also catch the ball. So he's someone interesting to watch. And then one more that I'll mention is uh, Shaq Davis, Shaquem Davis, wide receiver out of South Carolina State. Now, this kid is 6'5", 217. He is bigger than their tight ends, at least size-wise, not, not weight-wise. The issue is, again, he doesn't play like it. Yeah, you know, it's like you can see the skill set, but he doesn't high point the ball. Like You watch, uh, you watch his highlights, and it's tough because you can't really find a ton of of tape from South Carolina state football it just doesn't exist. They're not on major networks, but when you watch it, you know, he, he's just constantly creating big plays, but the big plays are he's going downfield and he's kind of, he's trying to get the defender in trail and he does, and he kind of walls them off and he tries to like over the shoulder, catch the ball. And he does, and he has an 87 yard touchdown, right? Like that's his longest play was an 87 yard touchdown. The problem is you're not gonna be able to get NFL defensive backs in trail unless you have four, three speed. So what's going to end up happening is they're going to be in his hip pocket. And then if he tries to go up and catch the ball like that, the defender is going to put his foot in the ground and high point the ball. And it's going to be an interception. So I need to see him in camp understanding how to play as a six, five receiver. And it's what I also need to see out of AT Perry. The saints need someone who can fill that role and I think he has the skill set. I mean, it's 45 catches, 934 yards, and 11 touchdowns last season. He had catches of 87, 58, 57, 44, 37, 35, 32 yards. It's a big play machine. Just needs to know how to use that body of his because you can't teach 6'5". So he's another one who's going to stand above the crowd. But those are the those are the more most intriguing players to me. And I had someone say, what, are this, what is Cy Barnett going to do for the Saints? I'm like, I don't know. Most of these players are going to get cut. I'm just telling you the ones that I'm going to have the most interest and watching when we're out there in uh, 10 days or so. I was trying to think last year how many UDFAs made the team, and obviously Shahid's the one that stands out to me. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, Nephi Sewell, right? Um, okay, and, I, you know, and I consider getting on the practice squad as making the team. I agree, me too. You can get cut as a UDFA, but if you get brought back, that's a win. Like Dejan Dixon, everyone was talking about Dejan Dixon. He didn't make the practice squad uh, right. last year. Kirk Merritt did, right? So – 
you know, there's going to be four or five, maybe six practice squad spots that are dedicated to these guys. And you're going to have some veterans in those spots. But the nice thing about, you know, the NFL rule changes over the last few years is if you're on the practice squad, you can get into three NFL games without even being signed to the active roster. So it's just going to give you a chance to contribute. And, you know, I think a majority of the players on the Saints practice squad got called up at least once or twice throughout the season. Those are typically going to go to like the Chris Harris's and the Kevin White's because you trust them a little more in the in the special teams parts of the game. But either way, it's rare to see a player catch on as a UDFA and make the roster out of camp. I think Deontay Hardy might be one of the few examples of that. Marquez Callaway, too, I believe, was on the roster from from the beginning of the season. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I feel like out of that UDFA group, there is one or two that stick with the team. And like you said, I consider making the practice squad, you know, making the team. Yeah, Shy Tuttle, I believe, made it straight out of camp. Malcolm Broach made it straight out of camp. Yeah, I'm sure there are others. I'd have to go back and, and find a list. Uh, but yeah, I mean... Juwan, huh? I think, yeah, I guess so. I guess Juwan and Tony Jones Jr. would have also been on that list. Yeah, so I mean, the Saints love the UDFAs. It's not unusual to see them make an impact, but, you know, you got to really stand out in some way. Andrew Dow, actually, you know, Andrew Dow wasn't a UDFA from the Saints. I think he was picked, or he was a UDFA somewhere else and then latched on with the Saints. Yeah, I don't know why um, Cowboys stands out, but that could be wrong. I think it might have been. He, he was another team, and then he kind of ended up on, like he washed out, he ended up on the Saints, and they, right. they really liked him. But, yeah, I mean, that's where this starts. That's kind of the, you know, we can get really excited about the rookies and whatnot and all the action in the preseason. One of the more exciting things is watching the UDFAs because they're playing for their jobs. Like, Isaiah Foskey doesn't have to worry about missing the missing the roster. He's making the roster. He's just trying to get better and better. Cy Barnett, this is his Super Bowl, right? And that's kind of fun. Right. And then obviously, you know, you hear it all the time. What you put on tape, it sticks because other teams will come a calling kind of deal. Yeah. I just don't know really how – I mean, other squads aren't getting OTA and training camp footage of these guys, huh? I'm not sure how that if that's shared around. Right, um, right. I don't think so. I mean, the Saints make sure to only let you record individual sessions. So if that's all they're getting, who knows? But you know, like the Saints ended up with Taysom Hill off the Packers uh, waivers, right? Like it happens. Well, that, that's Taysom a great story though, because they they were scouting somebody else and then ended up seeing him in yeah. that in their footage or whatever. So that's pretty yeah. pretty amusing. Yeah, no, I mean that's why that's why teams are typically fine to say, yeah, we'll cut this guy and stash him on the practice squad because it's rare to see a player, to see a team invest in a player just off the scrap heap without knowing anything about them. The Saints tried to do it last year with uh, Tanner Owen, and he ended up having a heart condition, and he got waived with an injury exemption, right? Ian Book went to the Eagles last year. So, so it does happen. Just not. I would, I would qualify it as rare, but I think that's why the Saints hit Rashid Shaheed last year until the last possible moment, and then you see, get him on the field, and you can understand why. I will say, so the last note I'll make is uh, Malik Flowers. He's not the same. Like you talk about returning return specialists, and he tied Rashid Shahid's record at um, the FCS level. He was Montana. Rashid Shahid was Weber State, which they, can, they play against each other. It's the same level. And I think the Saints are kind of in the mode where they want to just bring in a return specialist every year because they're good at it. He's a much different type of returner than Rashid Shahid, where you see Rashid running – and he's like gliding. Like you would never know he was running fast, but he is. Whereas um, Malik is more like a running back, I would say, than a true kind of galloper, right? He's running hard. Like you can tell he's running hard. He's going real fast, but it's not smooth like you would see with Rashid. But he can break a tackle with the best of them. And I think that's what Rashid doesn't necessarily have. He's, yeah, he's not running through arm tackles as much as that's what Malik is going to do. So that's, he's going to be fun to he, – he's fun to watch. I don't know how effective he'll be at the NFL level where the angles that players take don't have to be as good um, and you're not outrunning everybody the way he was at the FCS level. But uh, he's going he's gonna to be fun to watch in, in the preseason at the very least. And I'm still interested to see what Shahid can do in the return game because I think we saw him struggle more with that than as a receiver last year. There were like two or three instances where the turf monster got him. Yeah, he didn't break anything. You know, and, and that's what you want to see. Like, it's tough to make a huge impact at returner. Like, if, if Devin Hester was coming into the NFL right now, you would yeah. be like, where, where are you going to play, man? Like, you're a cornerback who can't play corner. 
you're a wide receiver who can't play wide receiver. Like, are we going to keep you on the roster just to do this? Because right. it's hard to justify a roster spot. Whereas he's like, because he came in the NFL at the time he came into the NFL, he's one of the greatest players in NFL history, right? Just because he was that big of an impact. I think Cordell Patterson tied his record, which is Correct, honestly yeah. kind of amazing because this is when Cordero plays. It's like he either scores a touchdown or, or nothing. But yeah, it's... Uh, I think you really want to see Rashid as a receiver. And if that costs him opportunities in a return game, so be it. I would be very upset if it went the other way. If they were limiting his action as a wide receiver because they wanted to make sure he had energy to be a returner. Because in today's NFL, just not turning it over is about the best you can hope for in a lot of instances. Yeah. And, and and obviously with the the new undrafted rookie too, it's like nothing's for sure, nothing's given. We don't know how he's gonna fit in. He, he might not be trusted enough to be that return man, especially early on. You know, it takes a while for them to to really trust guys in handling the ball. I mean, Rashid was uh wasn't on the roster until week five. Right, six, exactly. Right. Six, right. So like it, you know, he didn't exactly get the get a glowing endorsement out of camp either. Deontay was. And it was mostly because at that point they didn't really have a return specialist. So I mean, the, they'll do it. Is he the last one to to return a, a kick for a touchdown? Because I can't think of anybody else. I think so. I think the last kick return for a touchdown was the punt he returned against Seattle. Seattle, right? Yeah, that's all I remember. Taysom, too. Taysom, no, Taysom got had a long return. I think he got taken down like the fifty-five. Kamara had a return for a touchdown. Who, who was that one against? Because I remember it was kind of like a stutter step, and it was like, no, stop, stay in the end zone. And then he kept going. It was like, oh, no, yeah, keep going. I don't remember <laughs> who it was against, but I know it was in 2017 because it was his rookie season because there's no way in hell Kamara's going to return <laughs> kicks ever, like, in the last four years. Yeah, like I said, I remember that whole, like, kind of stutter move, and it was like, should I go, shouldn't I? And you were kind of like, no, 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 and then saying, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> right. One other note is Lou Headley. Um, I'm not even going to go into it. If you if you want to go down a rabbit hole, feel free. Google him. You'll be looking for a while. Fascinating guy. Full body tattoos. He wore number 94. Wore number 94 in college at Miami. That's because he idolized The Rock, who played at Miami. I've mentioned that before. He's also kind of the, an Australian rules kind of rugby guy, right? So when you're watching him punt a lot of times she'll take those like side steps to kind of create an angle, which is like always like it, it stresses me out whenever I see that. Cause I'm just waiting for someone to just like trip him up. Or um, I think that was what happened when the saints against the Seahawks last year, I don't remember their kicker's name, but he's another one of those like rugby style kickers. And he ended up like losing his grip on the ball. And then he just like tried to run for it or whatever. And the saints stopped him. Um, that was funny, but yeah. So when you're watching them out there, you're getting ready. Cause you're going to see a little bit of that. Uh, the Saints seem to find some very, uh, interesting characters at punter. Might as well. It's a boring position. Might as well make it interesting. Right. I mean, even you go back to obviously a guy like Thomas Morstead, that dude was just yoked. I mean, he and they was, drafted him. Right. Yeah. And they, exactly. Uh, but yep. even, uh, you know, kind of that, I don't know what kind of personality you would say with the Blake Gillikin, but he's also kind of like that rock and roller kind of mentality i would say yeah i agree with that but all right let's let's wrap this segment up so we can come back and get into our live mailbag thanks everyone who is in here thanks everyone who's listening i know it's kind of a weird time this is inside black and gold if you haven't subscribed yet do that if you haven't subscribed on the youtube channel do that really helps us out hit the like button hit the subscribe button leave a rating leave a review i'm jeff nowak he's steve geller you can follow us on twitter at jeff underscore nowak and at steve geller wwl that's g-l-e-e I'm sorry, that's G-L, another one, G-E-L-L-E-R. I'm sorry, I just confused people more than it would have if I hadn't spelled it at all. Um, but yeah, we'll be right back. This is Inside Black. And we're back on Inside black and gold i'm jeff nowak he's steve geller make sure to hit the like button if you're watching on youtube make sure to subscribe if you're watching on youtube or listening to this as a podcast please do that got a lot of positive feedback on the cam jordan interview that we played last episode try to get more player interviews whenever we can i try to get exclusive stuff and hopefully this year especially rookie minicamp we'll have a lot of access so 
if y'all are interested in hearing from anyone in particular, let me know, hit me up on Twitter, whatever DMs are open and uh, I'll see what I can do. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of, a lot of traffic around the Brian Brzee's of the world and the Isaiah Foskey's of the world. Um, but who, who are you looking forward to uh, talking to the most at uh rookie mini camp, Steve? Well, unfortunately, you know, we don't know how much Miller will be doing because yeah. of his injury. So I don't even know if he'll be there, but yeah. just from, his interactions already with the media. I would love to to hear more from him, but I, I would I would say the the six round receiver in Perry. Uh, AT. Yeah, interested to hear more from him. Just think that's someone that he kind you know looks and feels like that late round steal for this team. Let's hope that's the case. Yeah, I, I want to see again. When we talked about this, and I don't need to talk about it again. I just want to see him use a six three frame the way a six three guy should use a six three frame. I feel like in college. You don't necessarily have to do that. But when you're in the NFL at that height, you're there because of that height. Right. Um, anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, we don't want him, like, as Bear loves to say, don't be big for nothing. Well, it's like Juwan, I think, uh, has gotten better about it. Yes. But he, well, my big criticism of him over the first couple of years was he doesn't use the 6-3 frame or he didn't use the 6-3 frame the right way. And I think he got better at that last year. And that's part of the reason you saw him be more involved in the offense. But all right, let's get into the mailbag. First off, we got Jerry. He says, what's next? Saints host a game in Japan or China or Brazil or Australia or Africa. Who knows? I'd say Mexico, maybe the next one. Yeah, since they've done London, obviously, a couple they've times They've done now. London a few times. They're going to Germany. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the question is, when does the NFL put a franchise in London? Probably would be the next one. And that would be fascinating to watch because, they, I mean, what would they would have to travel overseas for – Eight, eight or nine games but it feels like that's where they're that's where it's trending and the money's there and that would just drive everyone nuts yeah and I, f- I figured obviously when you're adding obviously more locations more venues that the likelihood of a team playing increases i just definitely didn't expect it to be back-to-back seasons yeah. i would imagine if it is the case the nfl would have to have cleared it with the team i think i don't think they would just say well we're putting you in back-to-back overseas games, you know, kind of thing. I would think maybe they'd ask him. Maybe not, though. I could be, I could be wrong, too. I don't think they have much say in the matter, personally. No, but no. you can see the interest level, right? Like, like I was talking about with that Germany game in Munich last year. Like, the crowd was unbelievable. And if you're the NFL, you're looking at that. It's like, yeah, of course we want to keep doing these games. They have two games now, right? And so if they only had one game, the Saints probably would have gotten away with not, not having to go. But they, you know, and I think when you start adding more and more games, it's just like, yeah, we got to send somebody and we wanted to send the Patriots and you're one of their opponents. So we're going to send you. And, you know, you've uh, got all your uh, passports in order. Yeah, right. I have to get a passport now. <laughs> there you go, right. I'll, I'll wait to see if it's official first. That's the thing I should capture this with. This is all based on one newspaper's re- report, a German newspaper's report, which could be complete malarkey. It seems pretty legit. So I'm going to go based on that, but we'll see. We'll have to delve deep into our Germany sources. Yeah, and as Jerry points out, the schedule is officially being released this upcoming Thursday, May 11th, 7 p.m. Central Time on ESPN2 and the NFL Network. But we will know, I mean, uh, usually by like 2 or 3 p.m. One year, I don't even think we got the lunchtime and we knew the entire schedule. So I'll be planning to do kind of a like a, a game-by-game prediction post which is what i did last year we didn't have a podcast this time last year so i'll try to think of a good way to to do that on the pod um i'm also planning on doing a 53-man roster projection probably for the next episode just to kind of get the baseline of what we think but yeah it's gonna it's it's funny because it feels slow right now but it's gonna come fast (laughs) once it starts yeah and i feel like some of those pre-schedule you know dates and times and whatever some are are not correct uh, yeah. Obviously, you have to be careful, but uh, there's, you know, you have your pretty reliable sources that end up getting this info that you pay attention to, not your Adam Schefters. Yeah, you yeah, just got to watch out with the spelling of some names. I don't know why people get off on, you know, trying to trick everyone. The Adam Scheisters of the world. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, especially now without check marks, it's like, could be anybody. Like, because a lot of times you're going around and so. Like Nick Underhill breaks a game on the Saints schedule and Jeff Duncan breaks a game on the Saints schedule. And it's like, yeah, I know those names. I know those people. So I trust them. Uh, and then occasionally you'll see like, oh, a Bears reporter has broken. Right. This is when the Saints and Bears are playing. But And 
previously I was able to go and say like, okay, this is a legitimate person. Now it's like, maybe, right. It, Cause like a lot of local team reporters have like 2000 followers. It could be a, anybody anyway. It's yeah. Uh, I, I don't need to go on another Twitter rant, but KD points out says, I don't mind heading overseas. I just prefer we were the away team and didn't waste a game of home dome advantage. That is the case this year, right? The saints were on the road. If the Patriots saints game is in fact that game, the Saints were on the road to face the Patriots. So that wouldn't be a home game lost. So, but they did have nine road games versus eight home games. So you're still getting eight road games. I, I think, I mean, that's that's huge for me, obviously. You never want to lose that home game, especially to me, Saints fans, because they love packing the dome. Uh, Jerry points out that Nick Anderson was on the Keeping It Real Who Dat Sports podcast Wednesday night. So go check that out if you're interested in hearing from him. He was also on Sports Talk. I posted that interview on YouTube. So if you want to check that out, uh, it's over on our YouTube channel, WWL Sports, which is what you're watching on right now. So I don't know why I just described that to you. Love the fact, obviously, you know, embracing that black and gold culture right away and, uh, you know, mentioning the field mouse as someone, Sam Mills, that he looks up to is going to endear him to a lot of Saints fans for sure. Well, so he said he looked up to Sam Mills. And I didn't believe him necessarily until he threw the field mouse nickname out there. Cause I was like, okay, <laughs> he's done his homework. That's my One of my favorite nicknames uh, in sports is, is Sam Mills field mouse uh, next to, I think it was Vaughn Johnson. His nickname was like meat. Um, nice. Meat. Not quite as, not quite as uh, catchy, but still good. Um, See, if he was playing Brian, today, he could get an Arby's ad. Yeah. Brian Russell points out that it was Dallas, so you're correct for okay. Andrew Dowell. He also says, side note, not draft-related, could the Saints bring in Deion Jones as a rotational guy? Unlikely. I mean, I, I, they could bring in a lot of people at this point. I think you're not looking for veteran replacements for players that you're not sure about. Right now, you're looking at your UDFA class, and you're seeing who has potential there, right? Like, if you come away from the rookie minicamp, and you're like, man, I, this guy just It'll doesn't be, have it. Right. That's yeah. when you might start looking at, at guys like Dion, but I, I don't think like this, the saints. Yeah. It, it's, it's tough. Cause like occasionally they'll bring in like the big names, but they're rarely are they the names that end up making this roster, right? Like you brought in like Malcolm Brown, everyone was all excited. And then he was gone in a week, right? Bringing Kiko Alonso and everyone was like, Oh man. Then he gets, he retires in like two days. So I don't know. Like I, I don't get, I don't get excited for, for names I recognize uh, anymore. No, the only one that maybe it's, uh, you know, in the tight end free agency market, Cameron Brait, somebody that was on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, could fill that blocking tight end kind of role. But other than that, yeah, I haven't really been enamored with the the free agent market that's still left out there. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think if you want to go in and like try to find a name on the free agency market, it's going to be a tight end. Yeah, because I think you have to, even if it's just a veteran who can like mentor some of the young guys, like you want a veteran in that room. And it's weird to not have a veteran tight end in any, any capacity. KD says, would it be advantageous to switch our D to a three, four, or at least multiple like in New England? I asked because last year on D I feel like our, though our line was our biggest liability aside from injuries at defensive back and linebacker. No. And the reason I'll say this is because you are in what could be the final season or two of a regime slash youth build. And by that, I mean, Cam Jordan is aging out. Demario Davis is aging out, right? Like Marshawn Lattimore, you know, he's still, he's still in his prime, but he's getting to the, you know, edge of it. Right. Matthew Alvin, honey badger, you know, yeah, Alvin Kamara, Tyron Matthew, these are all players that like you're not you don't want to you, you want to run it back with, but you don't necessarily want to completely adjust everything with. And and again, because like two of these are team leaders in Demario and Cam, and that would be a major change for guys that have not played in that system. And the system has worked right. And that's why you rebuilt your defensive line uh, in the image of the old defensive line. Like you didn't change the prototypes you were going after. And, you know, and if if things go off the rails and it doesn't work then I don't think you're sticking it out with this coaching staff, right? So it doesn't make sense to really kind of force feed a change, in my opinion. Whereas, you know, if you do end up having to make wholesale changes, then sure, you can you can reevaluate the entire roster and the entire defensive scheme. But I don't think you're going to do that with the coaching staff that you brought in because you brought them in 
for specific reasons, and that is to work within the parameters that you've already set. No, and as you mentioned with Dennis Allen, guy that's been around the block, uh, he's not going to be changing his ways. And what he has done, at least for the Saints the last couple of years, it's it's been working. Right, yeah, right. The fact is the defense has been good. Yeah, And I think last year was a personnel issue, and obviously health is always a factor. Um, but I think it was a personnel issue. And that's why, you know, the, the Saints wanted to bring back David Onyemata, but they didn't want to bring him back at three years at $35 million. One of the reasons being yeah. you knew you had to – you knew you had to revamp things on the defensive line one way or another because he just wasn't getting it done at the level that he probably had earlier in his career. And Shai Tuttle, while solid, was never great. And that's why you're spending a first-round draft pick on a defensive tackle. And that's why everyone knew they were going to spend a first-round draft pick on a defensive tackle. So yeah. Yes, sadly, just a guy like, obviously, Shai Tuttle, seeing go, he'll always live in Saints lore for his, you know, taking out of Matt Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Luis Lockett says, Juwan put on weight. He said he was on a seafood diet. And the last time yeah, we saw him was everything he sees. But a oh. month and a half ago. Yeah, it does not surprise me. I see seafood, eat food. Yeah. 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 Um, it would not surprise me. I think he is still trying to get bulk up a little bit. He has never been shy about eating. I think he was up to 235 last year. I think he's going to keep, keep trying to keep trying to bump that up. But it's tough. Like there is a point where you, you, you're slow, right? Like, you, you want to be the the elite receiving tight end that you know he can be. And then this the weight is more geared toward blocking. And you don't want it to get to a point where the weight is is impacting you as a receiver. And, and there's the kind of balance there. But uh, I really like Juwan. I think Juwan's going to be very good for, for a long time in this, in this system. Yeah, it's hard not to like to do uh, – puts in the work. You've seen this steady development and just hoping that, you know, another year – well, uh, even more greatness blossoms from him. Yeah. Brian Russell says, who else or what position will the Saints bring in first? I'm sure they are not done with remaining cap space money. I think we've already answered that. It's tight end. You got to do something gotta tight end. Got to be right. Because, and, and again, it's not because you don't like Jawan Johnson. I think you really do like Jawan Johnson. Yeah. There's just roles <laughs> that you have to fill and you don't have anyone to fill them. Unless Miller Forrestal shows up and is is a revelation as a blocker. I think you're going to want to bring in somebody at a decent value. Who was the blocker that we lost to the Giants? Nick Vanette. Yeah, is Vanette a free agent out there? We could bring him back. I don't know, but either way, like that's a good example of like that type of signing is what I yeah. think the Saints are going to go after. Right. Like, exactly. Not Nick Vanette this year, but Nick Vanette three years ago. Brian Russell is busy in this chat here. He says, would hate for Brzee to be Zion Williamson and a bust. I would hate for anyone to be a bust. <laughs> I don't think Brian has any reason to, I don't think there's any reason to look at Brian and say, man, the bust potential there is off the charts other than the injury history, which is part of the reason he was there at 29, right? You yeah, I'd hate to go into a rookie campaign thinking that for crying out loud. I mean, how negative do you want to be? Well, I mean, the fact is he would not have been on the board at 29 if the injury history wasn't there, right? Correct, right. So you're benefiting from that and you're hoping that it's a much ado for nothing, which you did all the scouting. Like you had all the medical people look at him and, and poke and prod and bend his knee around. And like, if you had concerns, you would have, you know, the, the saints are not shy about dropping people off their board for health concerns. One thing I was surprised, Jeff, you, uh, Pete Prisco from CBS sports NFL analyst. He's pretty rough on the saints. I know who that's really don't typically care for his take, but about Brazil, he said that, you know, great value pick for the Saints. Shouldn't have been there at 29. The guy's best football is ahead of him. And he even compared him to Indomitian Sue. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, Sue was like, was he a number one pick? Uh, overall, he might have been. He was up toward the top. I know yeah. that. Um, but yeah, just, I, just to hear that, I, it kind of threw me back. Other than the fact that they both play defensive tackle, I don't see. Like, Indomitian Sue was always more of a nose. Brian Brzee is not a nose definitely like a three technique um and yeah i guess i don't know like it's nice to hear someone's giving them props right. i think mile kuiper gave them the worst grade that of anybody which was still like a b minus because you know that's kind of the it always is always funny to see the scale of like who's afraid to have people get mad at them so it's like it's like yo you're, you're really talking shit but you're saying it's a b minus <laughs> and mean, but honestly you know it's it's really hard to give out anything but for either a b or c to me you I mean you start getting to an a or even in the f range it's like it's it's a little too far i guess of of 
either way, getting too up or too down on a, on a, a draft class we haven't seen anything from. Well, Mel was also pretty critical of the 2017 draft class too. So, you know, he, I think he came back and was like, my bad <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago. But yeah, so take that, take that with a grain of salt. The thing that does always give me, like I always get a kick out of is, oh, this was a huge reach. This was like a 30 to 40 pick reach. And it's like, maybe, but it doesn't matter whether like your board says that. It matters like, so if the Saints wanted this guy, and they felt like he was the best player available at that point, why would they risk not getting him because they might be able to get him like 30 picks later, right? Like they didn't pick again until 71. So sure. And then you got the running back. So it doesn't like, it posits a reality where everyone is working off the same board and that does not exist. And I think one of the picks that people were critical of, like this is what's funny to me is, so we have a question here. From Larry Connor Jr. says, do you guys think Bosky has the potential to be the best player from this class? And it's funny when you look at like the local reaction, everyone seems to be in love with this pick. Even Bobby loves this pick. And he's been very critical of a lot of things the Saints do in the draft. And if you go nationally, everyone's like, reach, reach, reach. Yeah. And it's just, it's funny because it's like, what, what are the, what do the national pundits think the Saints need? And uh, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if there are better players on the board at that point. You're talking about 40. You're not talking about 20. And uh, I do think Isaiah Foskey has the chance to be the best player of this draft class. But I think of it in the same way that Cam Jordan has been the best player from the 2011 draft class. Like, I think that he has a chance to be a very consistent player for a long time. And Cam never blew the doors off. He never had a 20-sack season, right? But he's always available. He's always making the right play. He's always holding up against the run. Sometimes he accidentally punches a guy in the head. You know, you get you take the good with the bad. But that's that's why, like, when you compare Isaiah to players, like, I'm not even comparing his play style to Cam. I'm comparing his personality and his perseverance and what he brings to the locker room. Because in that sense, they are very similar. Though the one guy I'm definitely anxious to see more of because I did not watch TCU football is Miller. And some of the clips that you even posted – especially that one, if it was right after the draft or whatever, when he was just able to maintain that, that balance, that to me was out of sight, you know, jaw dropping, eye popping, whatever you want to call it. And definitely anxious to see something from him. If it's come training camp, so be it. Just want to see, uh, I think the saints have some good luck maybe with those running backs in the third round. Who knows? It's definitely possible. Their, their track record of drafting in the first round or in the top three rounds oh, for right, running backs right. has been very good. They haven't taken many of them, but they've all been good. Right, we went through it in the in the episode, the recap episode. But it's like Deuce McAllister, Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara, Pammy Wayme says, "I don't trust anyone with Mel Kiper here," and that includes Mel Kiper. Larry Connor says, "Are you guys tired of the Saints drafting a short, average arm Drew Brees clone type of quarterbacks every couple of years?" I mean, as long as they the starter is a good player, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> they can draft whatever quarterback they want. Derek Carr's going to start. And Drew Brees started prior prior to this, and. You know, when it was Andy Dalton, that's when I would have an like I would be annoyed if you brought back Andy Dalton <laughs> and then took Jake Hayner, a guy who might develop into a younger Andy Dalton. <laughs> right? If you're going and bringing in a Derek Carr, then I'm perfectly okay with a with a with a guy like that that you can kind of develop over time. But yeah, I, I guess the the shorter stature quarterbacks. I, uh, people may be thinking that they're trying to recreate the whole Drew Brees magic. But I mean, the more you look from Hayner, love the presence that he has in the pocket, the awareness, and uh, you can't deny his accuracy as well. I'm not sure how strong of an arm he has, but I do know it's accurate. There's Scout with Clout he says, I was more critical than most, but only because of how it compares to the Eagles draft and because of cost. We actually got some good players, though. I don't buy that the Eagles draft is that good. Well, I you get so the Georgia players, and that, that's why you have all national champions. So, that, like, like Howie Roseman is just taking the most popular player option available. It's not, it's like it, it almost has nothing to do with scouting. It's like, who do the fans want? I'll take that guy, you know? Right. Like, who, who's number one on the, on the board? On the, yeah, PFF yeah, right. Board. It's like he's watching ESPN and taking the best available player on their board because it's like, it's, it's, it's so wild. And hey, it's worked for them. Good for them. I'm not buying that they're this great drafting team because they've had misses too. 
and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like everyone loves the Eagles. They're the they're the darling. Good for them. Whatever. No, as as an Eagles fan myself, I'm quick to always mention. Don't forget about the Jalen Rieger pick over Justin Jefferson. Yeah, I'll never let them forget that one. And they yeah, can be either. Super Bowl contenders every year. And I'm still going to give him crap for that pick. Every time he dances, a little part of me breaks. Um, the scout with clout here, he said, I really thought after Carr, Winston, Luton types that they'd go for Dorian Thompson Robinson. I thought they would go for Dorian Thompson Robinson too. And it's like every time Jeff Ireland comes out and says, I want a dual threat quarterback, and then they do the exact opposite in the yeah. draft. And I'm just like, are you, why are you lying? either you're lying or you have no influence in this process which i don't believe is true so why is this the case huge smoke screen yeah i don't know either but that took me back too because i think he said that what at the senior bowl right yes he did i don't think dorian was there i think that's why maybe if dorian thompson robinson was at the senior bowl they might have drafted him jake hanner was there hey saints fans you do have the senior bowl mvp now senior bowl mvp baby and here's another one has been showed up late but he's been active here uh, Miller is going to be an animal. I think he's a better running back than Williams. I don't know who he's talking about. Who's Williams? Oh, Jamal. Jamal Williams. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I met someone else in the draft. I mean, different different dudes. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's tough to compare a rookie with a guy who's been. I mean, Jamal Williams is a veteran who you trust right now, and so that's why I like having both of them in the room. Who, who um, just who just broke a Lions record held by Barry Sanders? What? Oh yeah, the touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, like just the guy you trust short yardage. <laughs> I think, but they're very different runners. Yeah. Right. Like, like I don't think that Jamal was ever the dynamic runner that you hope Kendra Miller can be, especially when you watch the tape and it just, he just pops, you know, it, but I, I like Jamal. I think Jamal's going to get the lion's share of the secondary work behind Kamara. And when Kamara's out, inevitably, he's going to be the starter. Um, and then you're going to work Kendra in, but I, I like Kendra a lot. I think it's a great pick. Yeah. And just with Williams, I, I think the 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 player and the the personality is a great fit for this team too. It's Austin. I always point out that the Saints took Boston Scott in the sixth round. I give him crap for it all the time because they just let him go. Yeah, like it's so annoying to me. They also took Daniel Lasco in the seventh round, and he he stuck around for a few years. Actually, he was on special teams for a little while. I think he had a nasty injury at one point. But yeah, no, and we yeah we've talked about the linebackers uh, Andrew Dowell. Special teams guy, Nick Anderson. I think I think Nick Anderson and Andrew Dowell are very similar players. Andrew Dowell has always kind of been the undersized guy who just makes him his presence known by being around the ball constantly and making you be like, oh, look at that. All right. I think that is it. So all right. Thanks everyone for being in here. As always, it's a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to do a live chat. We haven't been able to do one of these for a little while. It's usually a time commitment thing and Last week with the draft, it was just no way we were putting out an episode on that Thursday. It was never going to happen. <laughs> in my in my wildest dreams, I might have been like, oh, we'll do something. And then it was like, oh, all of a sudden I look up, it's 2 a.m. <laughs> no, that whole, the draft process and even going through the recap show the next day was a big blur. Yeah, but I enjoyed that. I want to get Charlie on here more. Uh, more. I think he he's a good voice to have. I think he does a really good job. Uh, I think he was really good in that episode. So I like this. Try to get him involved. Best Maybe producer in the world. He's busy this time every day because he's producing the show. And if you're listening to this and you can't get enough, go hang out with Bobby and uh, Mike over on Sports Talk uh, WWL. But all right, y'all. This was fun. As always, thanks everybody for listening. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. Until the next time, peace, y'all. Do that. Peace.